G'day, I'm Toby Hagen. And I'm Bruce Newton. Welcome to The Motor Show, our take on all things motoring from Australia and around the world. We'll be giving you the inside running on cars, the technology and features inside them, and the people who bring them to life. Think of it as your weekly update on what's going on in the world of cars. This week we're getting behind the wheel of the new Mercedes-Benz C-Class, where petrol, to some extent, takes a backseat to electricity. We also drive the most powerful Volkswagen Ute ever and a Holden that's gone to the extreme. Plus the latest American muscle car from Chevrolet via Holden Special Vehicles. First up though, it's news. And it's been a huge week on wheels, mainly in Europe. Yeah, that's right. We've been obviously at the Paris Motor Show. Uh, the show was probably a little bit flat this year, which um, obviously big European shows, you tend to see a lot of new arrivals. But this time around, not a whole lot there. No, and a lot of brands missing, Toby. You're absolutely right. Um, but what we did see, the most significant car there was definitely the new BMW 3 Series. Yeah, look, bigger in every dimension. Uh, a much more complete looking car from for my money. It's, um, it's certainly a big step up in terms of... Uh, the way or the styling and the design, um, but obviously BMW is trying to push the dynamics of this car. The 3 Series has probably been a little bit flat in that regard in recent iterations, so this one they're talking it up big time. Yeah, no doubt cars like the Jaguar XE, the Alfa Romeo Giulia have closed that gap that the 3 Series once had, so they're talking about the car being stiffer and new suspension systems and so on. Um, but obviously that stuff's in the future. We'll find out more about that car when we drive it. Indeed. And look, another new arrival was a brand that um, we really haven't heard of. <laughs> Vinfast. Yes, from Vietnam. A startup, only 18 months old, uh, owned by a guy who made or started making his fortune selling noodles in the Ukraine, believe it or not. A Vietnamese guy, now worth over a billion dollars personally, and his company, the Vin Group's worth over $35 billion said, I want a car company, and uh, kicked $3.5 billion into it 18 months ago, hired a whole bunch of XGM people, including some Australians, and uh, showed off the product at, uh, at uh, Paris this week. Yeah, I thought it was a, a reasonable-looking car. They've certainly well, they've got Italian design, so Italian design houses have created it, and underneath there's some pedigree as well with the, uh, the BMW architectures and BMW engines. So, um, look, it's a big call to create a new car company, but if these guys get it right from the product perspective, um, I guess that's probably only about 20 or 30% of the job, but um, you, know, you can see them potentially kicking some goals, at least in their home market. Mm, so with that, so you go beyond VinFast and we had some more familiar brands that you'd expect to uh, be making a splash at a big European motor show. Peugeot was there, of course. A giant lion on the stand. <laughs> biggest thing there. Uh, but the E-Legend was a really interesting car that they were showing off. A, a very interesting concept. Yeah, absolutely. Inspired by the 504 Coupe. So some really nice lines, some quite crisp lines in there. Um, for me, the interior was the, the winning bit, though. It had that velour or velvet interior with a sort of aqua colour to it. It was pretty out there. Like, you get so many cars that are, are just standard wooden leather these days. This one, it was like out of the 1970s. It was very, very different. And speaking of interiors, we all got a good look at the ni uh, Porsche 911 Speedster interior because it didn't have a roof. So this is like the last of the current generation 911s. Only 1948 being built, which coincides with the registration date of the first 356 in 1948, I think, Toby, is the story. Anyway, that's they're being built now. About 15 of them coming to Australia. Based on GT3 mechanicals, it's going to go fast. Well, that's it. Having the GT3 uh, engine in there and... And I guess a more hardcore, a bit of an edge to it in terms of the performance. No roof, though, so you're not going to want it to rain. But, um, look, 
it'll sell out because they're only building a limited number and all the 911s seem to do that, particularly the naturally aspirated ones. So pretty cool stuff. Yeah, it's amazing. You can never seem to have too many special editions of the 911. Bottomless appetite for them. Indeed. Now it's time to hit the road. And first up, Toby, you've been driving the updated Mercedes-Benz C-Class. Is it still Australia's largest selling luxury car? Well, it has been for many years, Bruce, but um, the C-Class is actually now outsold by another Mercedes-Benz, the GLC, which is sort of similarly sized, obviously, uh, but an SUV. So um, what was uh, for so long the top selling luxury car is now playing second fiddle. And important, five years old now, the C-Class, and a new three series coming. Obviously, the A4 is pretty competitive, and there's other people always trying to take a chunk out of their market. So what have they done? Yeah, look, you're right, pretty active market. The biggest thing they've done is actually to the base model. So obviously, a pretty broad range in that C-Class range, starting from sort of mid-$60,000 mark all the way up to the C63, well into six figures. Uh, And it's that C200 that has had arguably the biggest update to it. So the four-cylinder engine's actually gone down in size. Now a one and a half litre turbocharged engine making 135 kilowatts, 280 newton meters. So it's actually stepped down a bit in terms of torque. Um, But the one thing they've added is a thing called EQ Boost. So this is EQ is Mercedes-Benz's big play towards um, electricity, the the sub-brand that's going to um, uh, going to take us to that uh, that all-electric world. But for now, we're looking at um, hybrids, or in this case, a mild hybrid system. So the electric motor only makes 10 kilowatts of power, 160 newton metres. For the most part, you can't really tell it's doing a whole lot. Um, you've got a little gauge in the instrument cluster that tells you when that battery power is kicking in, but uh, it doesn't... Um, well, it doesn't change the engine markedly in terms of overall performance. So, we're obviously, we're always interested in what's going on under the bonnet, but lots of people nowadays focus on the tech. So what's going on in terms of driver assist systems and infotainment and things like that? Well, look, in terms of the main features, safety and so on, nothing has changed. Still got the same auto braking and so on. Um, two levels of auto braking, so your C200s and 220D, the diesel version, uh, they use a lesser version of, of the um, auto braking. It works up to 105 kilometres an hour. The other cars, um, the C43, the C63, the C300, all work over 200 kilometres an hour for their auto braking. I suppose it's probably not um, a major issue for Australians where we sort of top out at about 110 k's an hour. Um, but, but yeah, you're looking at a, a more advanced system. The big news is um, the instrument cluster. So instead of traditional gauges and dials for that that instrument cluster, it's gone to a full digital screen, customizable digital screen, but quite different to some of the other Mercedes-Benzes we've got out there. So obviously E-Class and A-Class, anyone who's familiar with those, you get a 12.4 inch um, screen that then basically blends into the center screen, the 12.4 inch entertainment screen. So you end up with this massive Um, display across the whole car. In the C-Class, they're two very different displays. So the infotainment screen is still a very different single display on its own. And the instrument cluster almost has a traditional feel about it in terms of the circular circular gauges, but it's a, uh, yeah, you've still got full digital and as as I said, customizable. So you can go in and choose an orange sort of sporty theme or a a different theme that that, uh, changes the basic layout. But um, yeah, it's good to be able to, I guess, change some of the things in there. Yeah, fascinating, Tobes, but not really. (laughs) (laughs) So, doesn't look that different? Doesn't look that different. How's it drive? 
Uh, yeah, look, new grill, new bumpers, that's about it. In terms of the driving, not markedly differently. The biggest thing is the engine. Um, you've still got decent performance. Some people might be a bit scared off by a one and a half litre turbo engine, but um, it does go pretty well. It's, it's fine, particularly when hooked up to the nine speed auto. In terms of the suspension, You've got, it's now got a, uh, adaptive dampers as standard, even on the C200. So you can adjust between three different levels of damping. The base one, so the softest one there, is actually the best one by a mile. You do get a bit of body roll, a bit of lean through the corners, but let's face it, this, this isn't the world's sportiest car. It's, it's more about comfort. It's more about um, cruising for the drive. So for that, it does a reasonable job. Where it gets disappointing is when you suddenly um, change it to the sportier settings, it's not very good. <laughs> it sort of um, it bounces around a little bit, and it's just not uh, it's not as composed as some people may expect a Mercedes Benz to be. Okay, well, sounds like that's going to be a competitive offering for people who are interested in that type of car. I think it will be. Yeah, look, Mercedes is on a roll at the moment. Obviously, they're selling up a storm. Um, they they've got uh, people queuing up in some cases to own these cars to the point where Audi and BMW have struggled a little bit to muscle into that segment. I think this car probably does enough to keep it keep the interest levels there and having that mild hybrid system, it infuses some of that technology beneath the bonnet. So it's, um, yeah, I think it's probably enough to keep it going. That said, it's not a groundbreaking car. Mm. Okay, so from one German vehicle to another, but you couldn't get much more different. And we're talking about the new VW Amarok V6 Ultimate 580. A long name, but the, the actual message of what this car is all about is pretty short. It's all about having more power and torque than any other diesel crew cab pickup, most importantly, the new Mercedes-Benz X-Class. Yeah, now we've, we've obviously heard about this engine for quite a while. The same basic 3-litre um, V6 turbo diesel that Volkswagen's had for a long time, but obviously with more performance, better performance. The thing that surprised me with this car, I assumed that that new engine was going across the range, but it's not. No, it's only in the Ultimate 580. It is a more expensive car because it's it's actually Euro 6 compliant, so it's running at blue, and it's also got new pistons. So it's actually not only making more power and torque, but it's actually slightly more fuel efficient than the old car. And compared to the 550, it goes up in price about oh three and a half thousand dollars there's not much change in equipment terms it's really all about what the car does in terms of performance and to that end volkswagen is really quite aggressive with the marketing of this car calling it the new muscle car calling it the big bad wolf on the launch drive the other day they closed off lake mountain road which people who are in, been into their motorsport would know it's it's a tarmac rally stage so we were driving up and down there in this dual cab ute seeing how it performed on the road and it didn't do too bad but at the end of the day, you get in one of those cars, and yes, it drives well for a ute, but mm, yes. it's not going to feel too good up a road like that, surely. <laughs> so it was, by the standards of utes, it's good. But yes, you're absolutely right. I would have some concerns, people getting in this thing and firing off on a winding road and, and maybe getting caught out because like there's plenty of suspension movement, so the thing's going up and down, and then there's plenty of body, body roll, so it's moving from side to side. They haven't done anything to the brakes. They haven't done anything to the suspension tune. The thing is faster. So, yeah, you know, like it is, it can be a bit of a handful. It's better than most, whatever that was. <laughs> sorry. Do, just do it again to say yeah. it's a bit of a handful. It's, it's a bit of a handful, but, and it, sorry, I'll start it again. Look, it's a bit of a handful. It's better than most other utes in the class. It has permanent all-wheel drive and things like that. So, so it's, it's pretty impressive. It has um, rear disc brakes too, it should be pointed out. 
but no rear side airbag still and no autonomous emergency braking, which has been a, long been an issue with the Amarok. So, yeah. you know, pretty impressive, but not quite what they're selling. And the extra 30 newton metres, can you notice it? Oh, look, I mean, it's already pretty strong. So, oh, not really. So is it worth the money? Oh, I think... I couldn't justify it to be honest, um, but it's still undercuts. So it's seventy one nine ninety, and it undercuts the the X class by at least a couple of grand. And of course, the top spec X class tops out before on road cost just under eighty grand. So it's actually, well, it's the most expensive Amarok ever. It's actually a little bit, quite a little bit cheaper. Sorry, a little bit cheaper than the uh, than the X class. But Volkswagen's also talking about doing more with that engine at the lower, or more with the V6 at the lower end of the range. Yeah, now this is the one I'm really interested in. So they're introducing a, what's called a core, which is a new hose-out entry-level model, rubber, rubber mats, all that sort of thing, which takes its inspiration from the four-cylinder. It's going to have the 550 newton metre V6, and it's going to be introduced first in October with the automatic version, but then in the quarter one next year will come a manual with low range. And that, I think, is going to appeal to a lot of people. And it's going to be under $50,000. So on an Amarok V6, manual low range, hose out, under 50K, like it's your beach car, isn't it? Absolutely. And it's, it's going to put a lot of pressure on some of those other utes that are selling a bit more on price um, than rather than the overall, I guess, um, drivability and so on of the car. And one of those would have to be Holden Colorado and I've done a bit with that um, recently the Colorado Extreme uh, which is a version of the Z71 so the top of the range Colorado but they're throwing more gear at it so a whole bunch more uh, features um, particularly aftermarket accessories and you look at this segment so many people obviously go and buy a ute they walk out of the dealership and then they spend another five ten fifteen thousand bucks on things like bull bars, um, snorkels, uh, all the kit they can to try and make it not only look better, but go further off-road. This is the thing about it, this part of the market, isn't it? Up at the top of the dual cab market, it's niching and splitting and sub-niching and sub-splitting. Everybody's looking to find another way to make some money out of it. And the prices keep going up and people still keep paying more money. It's It's... For Holden, it's one of the few areas where they're having success at the moment. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the interesting thing with this car, though, you look at the price. So it's seventy grand for this um, Z seventy one Extreme. Seventy grand for a Holden Colorado. Drive away, so drive away. <laughs> oh, that makes all the difference. But it is a lot of money. It's absolutely a lot, a lot of money. Um, but they throw a fair bit of gear at it, so it's uh, you know you're looking at things like um, all terrain tyres, a different uh, sports bar at the back, so it looks pretty cool. It's actually copied quite a bit the. Volkswagen Amarok sports bar on some of their cars. So the one that extends almost all the way to the tailgate. Um, you've got a roof rack, so a fairly serious roof rack uh, and a bonnet bulge, an all important bonnet bulge, which does absolutely <laughs> nothing, but looks cool. <laughs> uh, more blacked out bits and pieces, some stripes. Um, and also at the front, the biggest change is with the front bumper. So they got rid of the standard plastic bumper. They've put a steel bumper in there and incorporated a winch into it. So it's a really neat job in, the, in terms of the way they've incorporated the winch. Um, it's almost a bit James Bond. So behind the number plate, you actually flip the number plate up and that's how you access the, uh, the winch there. So it's pretty cool that they've, um, they've gone to so much effort with something like that. It sounds a bit like the Toyota Hilux Rugged X, that same sort of thing, trying to emphasize the off-road capability. But one thing with the Rugged X, it, caught people out was when they studied the specs was all the extra weight reduced payload 
Is the same thing happened to the extreme? Yeah, absolutely. So you're looking at it's an extra 150 kilos roughly for all the bits and pieces they put on it. So it knocks exactly that weight off the payload. So you're looking at going from around a ton, a bit over a ton, to uh, a bit over 800 kilos, around 850 kilos. So yes, it's knocked some off that payload, uh, which is an issue obviously for those cars. The one interesting thing that the engineers have done at the front of the car, so a lot of that weight is obviously in that steel bull bar with the winch over the front. So they've actually changed the front, front springs to try and stiffen them up a bit with the aim of, of making the car drive the same as it did without all those features on there. So we got to back to back them, you can't pick it, that said, we're out in outback areas and, um, you know, the roads are often straight, fairly bumpy, but mm. there wasn't any picking the difference between the two. So they've done a nice job with that. Um, but it's, yeah, it's a, uh, it's a decent update. The, the one thing I think with this car is that uh, if you're not going to take it off-road, there's really no point. All the features are aimed at going serious off-road. So if you're just going to go down a dirt track, you're spending a lot of money on stuff that's never going to be used. Um, so really, you, you want to utilise it. You want to go and do stuff that will potentially use the, the winch and, um, and use those all-terrain tyres. So let's move on to the, the last vehicle we're going to look at this week. And, and it's, it's, it's in a Holden showroom too. It doesn't have Holden badges. And this one, we've both driven. The new Chevrolet Camaro Coupe V8. Converted, sorry, remanufactured to right-hand <laughs> drive by Holden Special Vehicles in Melbourne. Yeah, absolutely. Obviously, a, um, a highly anticipated car. We've seen since late 2015 when the Ford Mustang arrived, it caught everyone off guard in terms of how popular that car is. The second best-selling Ford in the range, um, an enormously popular vehicle. So, obviously, Holden's going to look and say, what can we do? Um, so, as you say, remanufactured by, by HSV. The thing that stunned me with this is just the lengths they go to, to remanufacture that car, I couldn't believe it. Like you go through the factory, we were lucky enough to walk down the line, the stuff they pull off that mm. car, it's effectively a shell. Yeah, and that's the point of the people probably going, what the hell are they talking about remanufacturing? And the point of that is that HSV it's, say it's far more, It's they go to a lot more effort than just a standard left to right hand drive conversion that you might find at a backyard operator or something like that. And, and what we both saw on the, Assembly line is certainly true, isn't it? Like it's a nine-step process. The car gets stripped back to the shell. The engine comes out. There's drilling. There's new wiring. There's there's a, a, a an OEM an original equipment level new dashboard that goes into the car. There's a hell of a lot of work that goes into turning the car from a left to right hand drive Camaro. But I think it's a really important thing on top of that to emphasise. HSV didn't try to turn it into a HSV Camaro. They wanted to retain the character of the Chevrolet Camaro. Mm, absolutely. And that's, I guess, you know, we heard about Camaro potentially coming about 10 years ago. Holden talked about it back then. And mm. one of the big questions we all asked was, is it going to be a Holden or a Chevrolet? And uh, it makes no sense to call this thing a Holden because mm. um, no one would believe it. <laughs> they want to go and put the Chevy badges back on. So, so I think, yeah, absolutely. They've done the right thing there. Uh, in terms of, you're right about that, the, the quality of, the conversion is just incredible in terms of the efforts they've gone to. Really, the only two things that I could spot to show that um, it isn't, I guess, a factory car, one was the mirrors. You see the, the, mm. the actual mirror popping out of the casing a bit because they've had to re-angle them and put some chocks behind them. The second one is that centre console where you've got the, I guess, the armrest bit that you want as a driver uh, is mm. instead on the passenger side and instead you're arguing with, um, 
with bottles and cups in the cup holder. So mm. that's a slight negative, but um, the rest of it is just top notch. I think they've done a phenomenal job with it and um, created a car that absolutely looks the business. And that is so important in this market, isn't it? Like you've got a uh, you've got a car like that 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 it needs to stand out. It's not just about what's under the bonnet. Yeah, I think there's the big debating point people are probably having about the car now is the pricing at 85990 it's about $20,000 more expensive than a Mustang GT fastback auto um, and in pure value for money terms it doesn't stack up one against the other the Mustang's better equipped in some ways autonomous emergency braking satellite navigation things like that um, but they're, they're converting sorry remanufacturing 550 examples and they will have no trouble getting rid of them because there's such a pent-up demand for the car. I guess the question is, is whether there's a longer-term market there, there's enough people that they're willing to pay the premium because that having to remanufacture the car locally demands. Yeah, absolutely. I guess the big thing here is how it drives. What were your first impressions? Oh, I mean, it was just a joy to be back in a, in a real drive V8 General Motors product after having lost the local Commodore at the end of 17. I, mean, I love the VEBF generation Commodore, that red line, and the HSV cars, you know. They were terrific cars to drive, big, buffy, heavy Australian vehicles. And the Camaro has a lot of those traits. Yeah. It makes a great noise when you tromp the throttle. Yeah. It, it actually handles pretty well as well. It's got lots of grip. It, yeah. it does all the things you want the car to do. I had a couple of concerns. I'd say I'm not convinced by the braking package, which is no. a Brembo four, four caliper. Yeah. yeah. Four pot caliper. Whereas the Mustang gets six pot front caliper. Yeah. So. I don't know about you, but when I was driving the car, I had a bit of pedal hardness and that, that concerned me a little. There were That was... By far the main thing, I, and the other thing is you just can't see out of the thing. Mm. Even the struggle <laughs> to see out of it looking forward because you lose half the bonnet, like you can't yeah. see out the back or the sides. It's definitely anything. all about the looks, isn't it? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it is. It's a stunning-looking car. Like, it, it stops traffic all around it. There's yeah. no doubt about it. I mean, you touched on that engine sound, and for me that was one of the main things. Also, the throttle response, I found that... Um, it's got a heap more torque than a Mustang. So 617 mm. newton metres versus 569 for a Mustang. Yeah. And it's produced lower in the rev range. So I found, I just thought you got a really nice instant throttle response from it, which worked really well. You could actually, from a standstill, even on half three-quarter throttle, it would try and light up the rear tyres. So yeah, it, was, yeah. um, it was pretty cool from that regard. Uh, I think the idle sound is okay, but where it gets great, it's got this good metallic raw edge to it once you start hooking into it. It just sounds phenomenal. So Yeah, it's got the bimodal exhaust and it really kicks up and gets rolling, no doubt about it. Um, yeah. I should say it's got a it's got a 6.2-litre Gen 5 Chevy um, small block in it, 339 kilowatts and 617 newton metres, mates to an 8-speed auto. And that's the only... Um, Transmission choice you can get at the moment. HSV saying that there will be a manual available in 2019, hopefully. But wait and see on that. And if you if you're gagging for the the Z01, the 485 kilowatt supercharged version of the Camaro, um, I think you might be waiting for a little while for HSV to get that one converted. It, it, they've got some challenges to get through just securing the cars and converting the ones that they need to, just, just the standard SS model that they're doing now. But they've got ambitions, but it's going to take a little while to sort it all out. But uh, I, I'm congratulations to them for getting a project that crossed the line that General Motors, Chevrolet and Holden, with their might and power and finances, couldn't make happen. <laughs> Bit embarrassing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I think, sorry, go on. No, I was going to say, look, obviously this week, 
is all about V8s. And if you do want more powerful V8s, it's a good week to be chatting about it. We've got the Bathurst 1000 coming up. Yeah, we're not going to do a lot of motorsport on this on this podcast, Tobes. We're not going to dissect every week and, and what's going on in all the different things. But but Bathurst is a special event. It's a big event. It's, it's Mount Panorama and the V8s. It just goes hand in glove. So get on the sofa on Sunday and, and grab a beer and watch it because Fox and Channel 10 do a, a magnificent job of, of covering uh, the race and almost inevitably something dramatic happens. It's, it's very rare now the race is a procession. I mean, you only have to go back through the last few years and look at some of the craziness that's gone on. Going into the race this week, the, the ZB Red Bull Commodores are favourites. Mm. Uh, that's, that's Jamie Winkup and his uh, co-driver Paul D'Umbrella won Sandown 500. Yeah, well, they were dominant at the Sandown 500, oh, weren't ridiculous. they? ridiculous. But they have been in the past too, and that hasn't necessarily translated to Bathurst. Shane Van Gisbergen and his Kiwi co-driver Earl Bamber, the Le Mans 24-hour winner, who's a rookie at Bathurst. And then you've got Craig Lowndes, of course, who's retiring from full-time driving at the end of the year. This will be his first, last Bathurst as a full-time driver. And then you've got Scotty McLaughlin, the Falcon driver in the DJR team Penske Falcon, who is desperate to try and win the championship after just missing out last year. He's going to be a factor too. Mm. Look, people could come from the clouds. They had the last couple of years, Davey Reynolds and Luke Gilden in the uh, Erebus Commodore. The Techno Commodore won in 2016. But however it shapes up, we know it's going to be a cracking race. Anyway, that's the Motor Show for this week. We hope you enjoyed it. Give us five stars if you did. Either way, we'll catch you here again soon.